Welcome to Super Entrepreneurs Podcast. Today we have with us Rob McNeely. How are you, Rob? Oh, Shahid, I'm great. Thanks for having me on today. How are you doing? And by the way, happy birthday. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. We had a little chat before we started recording. Yes, it is today my birthday. Thank you so much for the well wishes. Um, so tell us more about yourself, where you're calling in from, what are you involved with? Oh, that could take up three or four hours. Uh, the short answer is I currently live in Salt Lake City, Utah, though I've been living out in the Western United States for about 20 years now. I've lived in uh, mainly in Colorado, Utah, a couple times in Wyoming, uh, though I'm a born and bred Midwesterner. My wife and I are both from Michigan, the Detroit area. So I grew up in the Midwest, uh, but I really have been living, I'm kind of like an expat <laughs> to the Western United States. States. Um, and it's really good. We have four kids. Uh, we moved out here just to basically ski in Park City. So that's kind of a big thing for my family. We ski every year and uh, life is really good. That's excellent. And then uh, so you ski, but I, I heard that you could you could ski even because it's an elevated area, you could ski even when it's warmer. Is that true? Or Sure. Um, yeah. Ski season can start as early as late October and go to April, typically. Okay. So usually I think we start skiing as a family. The snow, we're, we're kind of snobby now about snow. So we like, we generally start skiing in like the second week of November and then we'll go through spring skiing, but there's, there's snow on the hill all the way to July. So it just depends on, you know, how crazy you want to be. I mean, they shut the lifts down typically in March, but um, there's still snow that people go literally hike up and ski down until the, you know, April sometimes. So, um, but the, what I like about Salt Lake city and I lived in Denver for 12 years, and I never skied that often when we lived in Colorado because getting to the ski resorts from Denver is really a pain in the butt. It takes hours and the traffic's horrible. Where, where I live here in Salt Lake City, um, it's literally 25 minutes door to door uh, to get to the Park City Resort. And so like literally it's just like, and they never shut down the freeway here to get up there. So even when the, they just really maintain the roads really well. So I, I like living out here. Like the, the West is really mellow. And so... Um, Anyways, it's all good. So what does this uh, T-U-S-C stand for on your hat? Uh, we call it Tusk, and that's tusk. why it's like, it's like a play on the elephant, right? Ah, um, Tusk. Yeah, so it stands for the Universal Settlement Coin. So I've been a serial entrepreneur on and off for about 20 years now. Um, I've been a full-time entrepreneur making a living as an entrepreneur consistently since 2012. Uh, no, I'm sorry, 2002, 2002. So 18 years I've been, a, I call it a, you know, as a milestone with entrepreneurs. I think there's milestones from being an entrepreneur, right? I agree. Um, I've been making a living as an entrepreneur. Like literally that's how I make my bread and butter um, since about 2002 um, now. So about 18 years. And that was a big milestone. Like I had a bunch of side hustle things. And I think that's a great way for entrepreneurs to start is don't just like throw all your dice and eggs in one basket, like, exactly. like start a side hustle first and, and learn because there's so many things you got to learn about being an entrepreneur. But um, Tusk is it's interesting. It's a it's a passion project right now. Um, my day job, I'm a forensic consultant. Um, and I own my own consulting firm. Um, and I have a very flexible schedule and I'm really nerdy in my day job. Um, but it's not as exciting about what we're doing with Tusk. So Tusk is a cryptocurrency project. And kind of like Bitcoin, 
and you know everybody's heard of Bitcoin. Not everybody yeah. knows what it is, but everybody's heard of it. But we created a, a cryptocurrency project for a specific purpose, and our focus is getting adoption in some niche industries. And so uh, we started our project almost three years ago, and it's technically not a startup, which is interesting for me as an entrepreneur. Right? Um, entrepreneurs, we want to be like we want to control everything. Right? That's that's mm-hmm. our baby. Um, but with a decentralized community cryptocurrency project, I don't own it. There's no company. I'm just one of the guys that helped, you know, start it. Uh, but right now it's been a very interesting project. Uh, the cryptocurrency and blockchain industry, this whole new technology is, is super, super exciting. It's cutting edge. It's in some ways it's wild West. In some ways it's very uncertain. It's kind of like, it reminds me of the beginning of the dot-com era and you and I are very similar in age now. So you and I remember that time period probably, right? Back oh, yeah. in you know, 1998, 1999, we're just getting email addresses. Setting up, news, uh, setting up websites. Exactly. And so it's that kind of excitement. And, you know, at our age of being old men, like we are, right, it's nice to get excited about something. And so I, I've been working for almost three years on this project for no pay. Uh, and, and I'm blessed that I can I make enough of my day job, uh, so to speak, so I can, you know, spend a lot of time working toward this other project and getting it off the ground. And so I think that's been really interesting is that I don't control it. And, and mm. so I think um, that's the one thing with like these, there's a term in the industry called decentralized. Mm-hmm. And what I like to tell people, what does that mean in cryptocurrency kind of parlance is that we're somewhere between a cross between like a co-op and a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's like, it's kind of a different mindset. So it's that it still has that, that open source community coding kind of software ethos in it um, combined with trying to revolutionize finance and payments um, and being into really early into a very new industry and a new technology. So I'm just really, I wake up every day excited about what I do. So when, when, so is this similar to Bitcoin or is this like a different family of, of uh, cryptocurrency? It's a different family. I mean, there, you know, cryptocurrencies all have like a similar way they operate. I mean, there's different kind of um, central code bases. So there's like, as far as I know right now, there's about three to four main code bases that every you know, crypto asset's based on. And, and basically people copy and paste and modify. And so we are no different. We did fork another blockchain, but then we modified it and put in different features. And, and um, our, our difference than what we're doing is how we're marketing it and how we're kind of going approaching this, this term mass adoption. So right now, and I don't know how much you know about crypto, right? But Not I know much, no. And good. So this is a new <laughs> but we're learning together, brother, trust me. Yeah. Um, but with cryptocurrencies, um, there's a lot of unknowns right now. Right now, it's it's so early into this industry. It's like we're like in the dial-up modem stage with cryptocurrencies. It's where we are right now. Mm-hmm. And so if you think back to the late 90s, that's kind of where we are. And so if you could look back right now with what you know of the last 25 years mm-hmm. and go back to the late 90s, you I mean, you can imagine what, remember what websites look like in the late 90s compared oh. to what they do now? Yeah. And that's where we are with this technology. So you still come seeing, across those websites here and there, like for maybe a, a blog article or something, you'll come across <laughs> that website. It looks so DOS type. No graphics and just, you know, content. I, I like that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really want like a giffy, flashy gif. You know, you got the, you know, the auto, the, the auto play on the music yeah. in the background. Those websites, were, those, are one, those are the ones that I could build. I can't build websites nowadays. Oh, They're yeah. too complicated. Um, yeah. 
But with the cryptocurrency, where we're going right now is that we're we're it's a paradigm shift with how finance and payments and banking are going to be. This is like just like what crypto or what the internet did and the World Wide Web did for e-commerce and and retail in general, which we're still seeing that shift. That's that that paradigm shift is still happening, right? With Amazon, you know, taking over everything. But what you see now, the same thing is happening with payments and banking and finance. And so that's what these technologies are basically restructuring globally. And so it's going to be painful for a lot of people. It's going to be interesting for a lot of people. I think a lot of wealth is going to be generated. And I think a lot of people are going to be losing wealth (laughs) if they're into the old legacy system long-term. And I also think that there's going to be a lot of liberation happening from what we're seeing with the cryptocurrencies and blockchain technologies. So with cryptocurrencies, there's so many different models. Like you're saying that yours is a basis of on something, right? And there's mm-hmm. some that are based on whatever the, the category is. Yours is under, what what kind of category does it fall under? Your crypto? So we're, we're focused as a payments project. So okay. we're focusing on just doing payments. We're not doing anything. Uh, the term smart contract comes out. We're not trying to build dApps. We're not or applications on a blockchain. We're trying to become like the next money. That's, that's the focus of Tusk. So right now with um, a lot of the cryptocurrencies, there's, there's thousands of them out there in the world right now. But the, the big elephant in the room with crypto right now is nobody really has customers yet. Nobody's really using them for anything other than investment and speculation. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's even though Bitcoin's a multi-billion dollar you know, blockchain and there's about you know, 20 multi-billion dollar um, cryptocurrency projects that are already out in the field, none of them really have customers yet. And so that- Bitcoin does though. Bitcoin doesn't, believe it or not. You know, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of debate and arguments. Just for the investment. Everybody's using crypto as investment vehicles Mm -hmm. right now, based on the concept that hopefully one of these, you know, thousands or a few of these thousands of crypto projects will eventually morph into something and get mass adoption, meaning that everyday people will start using them at some Mm -hmm. point. The problem is most of those projects don't have a strategy for making that happen. They made their money. They, the people that put them out there um, got them you know, to become very big investment vehicles. But the problem is no one has a lot of users. So what we're doing is we're taking what people learned about those other projects. And then we said, okay, our strategy is we actually developed and created a strategy to actually get out and get people to use our project. And we're okay. kind of in the middle of that roadmap right now and, and doing that and we're building all our infrastructure out. And I think we got a good shot of getting there. So that means that you're pushing towards having consumers use it for, for online transactions, for example. Correct. Absolutely. That's the number one focus of what we're doing. So if somebody, you know, had to use Bitcoin, like coins, like cryptocurrency, and they had a choice between Bitcoin, like I'm, what I'm asking is, aren't a lot of people going towards Bitcoin when they do make a decision to use, like, how do you compete? Like, how does, how do they, how would a consumer want to choose yours instead of Bitcoin? You know what I mean? Because of Bitcoin's where it reached in the market. Bitcoin has tremendous network effect and brand. Yeah. Absolutely. So the downside of what Bitcoin has, it doesn't have a marketing team. 
and 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 that's great i don't view bitcoin as a competitor no so we always say is our competitors are places like visa and mastercard that's who i'm competing with and structurally there's some there's some big differences between um from the usability and speed and the cost of doing a transaction on bitcoin and this is one of those things that like i said we're very early so i i view you know bitcoin is like the model a Right, it's like the first, and and it's the one that's got the most brand. But the thing is, even with Bitcoin right now, the minimum times it takes the minimum time it can possibly take structurally for a Bitcoin transaction to get confirmed is about ten minutes. So can you imagine waiting at the grocery store ten minutes? But that's not the average. The average is much longer. And then on top of that, there's some other problems with a lot of blockchains where you don't know how much the transaction fee is going to cost you. Because it's like Uber surge pricing, you know, like if you're going to take the same trip in an Uber at a different time of day, it could be 10 times the amount of money in the middle, you know, in the middle of the day versus the middle of the night, right? Mm. Because they do surge pricing. Well, some cryptocurrency products are their fee structures are surge price. So they call it the technical word is mempool congestion, meaning that the the uh, when you have peak times where lots of people are trying to get transactions through, the people that are willing to pay more get their transactions pushed through faster. But the minimum speed you can do with Bitcoin is 10 minutes. And that will never work in a retail environment. And so uh, when we built Tusk, we chose some different technologies to base our blockchain on. And so our average confirmation time is 2.5 seconds. With oh, the, so it so, can be used in the day-to-day life. Yes. So we structured Tusk to be used in a retail environment from day one. So right now, Bitcoin is not structured to do that. Now, there are okay. some other projects trying to put Band-Aids over that to make it so you can use Bitcoin in a faster way. But so far, none of them have really created any technologies that are one, easy to use. And those, even though they call them second, I'm going to use big words here, but second layer solutions to make Bitcoin scale. So in other words, to make Bitcoin faster, people are now trying to create other software, third party software to run over Bitcoin to help improve those transaction times. It one, it doesn't really fix the, the other, the otherwise structural problems that are in Bitcoin. Now I'm not anti-Bitcoin. In fact, I I invest, I've got a lot of money invested in Bitcoin. I'm not anti-Bitcoin. It just doesn't do what we're doing. Mm. Um, And so we're very focused. um, And then we're structured in a way that's very different. So how are, how are the decisions about how our blockchain are made are made by the members who own the coins. So people who own, so if you own a one top, you have one vote and then decisions are made via proposal and they're voted on by the community. You don't really have that in, in uh, Bitcoin. Um, the decisions about the Bitcoin network are made by the people who run it are the miners. And mm-hmm. so, and so we're just very different how we're structured. And in addition, we felt that we have a funding mechanism built into our blockchain. So the transaction fees and the, the rewards that um, people, the miners or the people that run our Basically, the the people that run the servers that run our network get paid to run the network. They get a little piece of every transaction that goes around. Um, but another little piece of that transaction fee and the block rewards that go around for those confirming those transactions get divided into paying into a pool for charity. And then there's another pool to pay workers. And then there's another pool to pay for marketing. And so we felt that to get adoption and get people to really use our cryptocurrency over, say, another cryptocurrency is that you need to do outreach and do 
marketing and you need to hold people's hands and you need to do education um, and you need to do actually advertising, which something Bitcoin isn't, doesn't have any of those features or structures. So one of the things that we feel that there's been no real cryptocurrency out there that's been adopted by the masses is because most of the big cryptocurrencies don't have a process or a mechanism by which people can get paid to promote and there's no central body, and, and that's a feature, um, or some people would say that's a feature of some of those blockchains, but there's no group that is in charge, and there's no group in charge of Tusk either, but there's a there's a group that supports it. So, mm. um, like, the community is in charge, but we do have, like, a little more organization than some of those proof-of-work blockchains like Bitcoin. So, uh, you said it's three years old, correct? Correct. Uh, and how do you scale, how do you know the growth in the last three years? Is there a way, I guess, a number of, of coins that are mined? So the we actually, um, we started out as a token on another blockchain, and then we've done a lot of growth. So we were, for the first, basically, just almost two years, we were a token on another blockchain. Uh -huh. And then we rebranded, and then we built our own blockchain. And then we relaunched right after Christmas, this past Christmas. So our new blockchain with our own ecosystem, we're about nine months old right now. And months. 10 months old. I think we're going on 10 months old right now since the launch. But the project's okay. been alive since uh, almost three years now. Three years. Okay. And But for growth, how do you check growth when it comes to Bitcoin for a company? Like you're saying it dis decentralized. Right. So is there is there the growth is is calculated based on the number of coins that are mined or number of users? So I think you know it's what are the I guess the question is um, they're asking what are the key important details what are the you know the, what are the main indicators of growth? So for us we're looking at we have milestones that we're trying to reach. So we have infrastructure milestones that we're, we're reaching. There's partnership milestones that we're reaching. Um, the number of wallet holders is uh, can be a factor. The market cap of the entire project can be a milestone. The number of transactions across the network can be a milestone. But so there's and no so, growth uh, mechanism like an association that checks like a criteria that you have to follow to see the size of a, of a Bitcoin. Of, I mean, of, of a crypto. Oh, no, there, there are definitely trackers out there, third party trackers that okay. um, they look at all those metrics. So there's, we, okay, they look at all of them. Yes. And so, the, yeah, there's, I guess it, the thing is, we're so early, everybody's trying to figure mm. out what are the important indicators. <laughs> so, mm. you know, is it just the value of the project? I would say if it's only the value of the project, then that's a different incentive. So imagine, uh, how do you look at a, I mean, if you look at a stock, or you look at a company, right? Mm -hmm. Do you, do you, man, you know, how do you value that company? So most people would look at something like the stock price and the market cap, right? But the thing is, what's another, what's a more important indicator is how many customers and what their sales look like, right? Yeah. Or it could be how much cash on hand they have in the bank for like, you know, Apple's got, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars just sitting in cash. And they have, you know, how many new users, how many products do they sell? So to me, right now, I think most people, because we're early and most no one has actually user has any real actual users yet um, for buying and selling goods and services. To me, I believe that's the most important factor is you know, how many actual customers do you have? So, um, you know, if you look at Bitcoin, I mean, they're the number one. I mean, they have the huge market cap. They have the most investors. And so from that point of view, it's number one. And it'll be not, and I think Bitcoin will be here for a long time. I don't think Bitcoin's going away. Bitcoin just isn't what it, it didn't, and didn't end up achieving what it started out to do, which was to be peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash. 
Okay. And there's a variety of reasons why I think Mm -hmm. that it didn't make that happen. So I think ultimately a lot of people are saying that it's just become a store of value. So Bitcoin is basically like digital gold. And, and so where they've kind of positioned Bitcoin and the community around Bitcoin is they're not really trying to get mass adoption from a standpoint of, uh, using it as money anymore. That that was originally what it was supposed to do 11 years when it was launched, but that's not where it is today. And so there's still a vacuum there. There's a lot of cryptocurrencies that are payments projects such as Tusk, um, but they're in the same boat we are. No one's really using them for buying and selling. People are focused on the market cap and the investment speculation part of it, but they're really, most of these projects don't have any actual strategy to get people using it. And part of the reason we think, and we've done a lot of deep dive in this, right? This is because this is the thing we asked when we get in it. Why hasn't cryptocurrency, before we started coding, we asked, why haven't major cryptocurrencies been adopted? They've been around long uh-huh. enough. Well, there's lots of projects that are around five to 10 years. Yeah. And so, but we, we started looking at structurally, and this goes back to my, I think like an entrepreneur, I'm not a developer. And I think this is important because entrepreneurs and salespeople and developers think very differently about uh-huh. things. If you look at most of the teams around the lesser projects, not just Bitcoin, but most of the projects that are operating and, and are in these cryptocurrency communities, they're mostly developers. And developers are really good at building things and making things and coming up with new features. The problem is a lot of times, I I think a lot of engineers and developers fall into this pattern of build it and they will come. Mm -hmm. And I think as an entrepreneur, that's a myth. Rarely does build that they come and they will come actually work in the real world. And so as an entrepreneur, and I've been around long enough as an entrepreneur that I don't even build a company now unless I have a customer unless I have a solution to that customer's problem. And so I viewed, even though it's a decentralized project, we kind of view it like a startup. And, and I think like, a, I mean, I'm not going to stop thinking like an entrepreneur and start thinking like a developer. I think like an entrepreneur. And to me, I said, if, if cryptocurrency is going to get adoption, you need to focus on people that have a problem with payments. So right now, developers you know, a lot of developers, not all, but a lot of developers really don't like doing sales or business development or marketing. That's just not their forte. And, and if you talk to most developers, they'll agree with that. They they're just don't want to interact with people that way. And so, but the problem is most of the projects out there are, have teams that are just full of developers, but they yeah. don't have sales or marketing people on the teams. So that tells you a couple things. One, if you don't have sales and marketing and business development people on your team, one, your team probably doesn't value those functions very highly. Mm-hmm. And two, those functions are not likely being performed. Yeah, And so we when so when we developed Tusk and started, you know, asking people to come on as advisors, we started picking people that were consultants and marketing people in addition to developers, because we feel they're equally as good important. mix. You have to have good mix. In fact, we have a uh, we have an indie film producer director on our advisory team, because we're going to be doing a lot of viral video because it's a huge, you know, it's a great way to get the word out and educate people. And I felt that that was so important that we brought someone at the advisor level to our project that mm-hmm. understands filmmaking. And so we're going to do things differently is how we're approaching doing outreach to people. And then we said, look, you know, if you look at like crypto and Bitcoin, for the most part, at least in Western countries, crypto doesn't solve a problem for most people. If you think about it, it's more expensive. There's a learning curve, things like Bitcoin, they're inconvenient. It takes longer to transact. It's expensive to transact mm-hmm. um, compared to like other payment options. So if you think about it, in the in the West, we have plenty plenty of payment options, right? We yeah. have not only all the credit cards, but we have all these third payments. 
we have net, you know, you have all sorts of PayPal and mm-hmm. Venmo and Cash App. Whatever is easiest to go for, right? Whatever is most convenient. And, yeah. and you know how it is, right? With social media, you got like 10 different messengers on thing too, but everybody's got all those payment options. So if I go to you and you've got Venmo on your phone and PayPal is your business and Stripe and all those things. And I come to you, and by the way, so here's this crypto way. It's more expensive to operate than your other options. It's more complicated. And if you lose your keys, you lose all your money and all these other things. And you're like, what are you talking about? And to me, that's important because no one's going to adopt that because it doesn't make any sense for them. It's more work okay. and more stress. And, and, Tusk. So we, and Tusk is a little different. So we said, one, if you're going to get adoption, you need to focus on people that actually have a problem with payments in the West. And, and, you know, and this is probably the true in Canada too, but out in the West, there's only a few industries that have a recognized problem with payments. And those industries are all distasteful to somebody. And so we said, look, if you're, and if you're going to try to get adoption, you need to focus on people that have a problem that crypto can solve. And so we looked at a couple different industries and we did like a big market analysis, you know, did typical market segmentation analysis. And we looked at, you know, things like gambling and pornography industry and cannabis and CBD and pawn shops and payday lenders and refugees and immigrants and, and in the United States, guns. And so we looked at all those industries and the pros and cons, just, you know, it was a business decision. So we went down and say, what do you think of this industry? What are the pros and cons of working in that industry? What are the pros and cons of this? Knowing that all these industries are distasteful and can Mm -hmm. be politically charged. And so we decided in the United States of all those industries, there's only one that's $50 billion a year in revenue, U.S. dollars. Um, And then there's only one of those that's constitutionally protected. And so we said, we're going to start with one of them. And, you know, like Amazon started as a bookstore, like Mm -hmm. you're old enough to remember that, right? Mm. So Amazon was a bookstore for five to six years before, you know, they started what, 95. And, you know, they were still pretty much a bookstore till like 99, I think. Mm -hmm. So they started there and Bezos always had a plan to go to other industries. So we said, if, you know, if we're going to get mass adoption, one, you need to start with a narrow focus in an industry that has a recognized problem two, you need to do laser focused marketing to that industry and really hold people's hands. And so we said, once you do that, then what you do is you go out and, and once you've been proven in an industry and you have some adoption, then you can work your way out and that's how you're going to grow. And so, cause crypto is so big I mean, we have to think like Amazon, right? Amazon didn't yeah. say that in 30 years, we're going to be have our own distribution service nationwide, right? I mean, that's not why maybe Bezos thought that far ahead, but I bet you he didn't think that far ahead, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but he did know that he started with books because they had, at the time, I, I saw an interview with Bezos and he said there was 400,000 book SKUs that crossed all industries. And so it made the most sense because it's an under, it was, at the time, it wasn't a sexy industry, bookstores, right? It's not sexy. And, mm-hmm. and so he applied tech to a non-tech industry mm-hmm. that was ripe for revolution. And, and, and it had, it also crossed many, many different industries. So it had a lot of exposure. And so that's why Bezos chose books. A lot of people think it was because his wife, you know, McKenzie was a writer and that's mm-hmm. not why they went into that industry. He was looking at lots of different industries to do. He wanted to do e-commerce, 
but he said I, but he did market segmentation to where to start. So we did the same thing with crypto. So in, in, and I know some of your audience is probably Canadian and they won't get it. And I understand and respect everybody's political views. So to us, it's not a political decision, but we decided to focus our early marketing into the US gun industry, which is very controversial and I get it. And, and, and trust me, I get it a lot, um, but, it, but it has the, the best chance of success for what we're doing because one, uh, there's a lot of regulatory risk out there with working in things like cannabis. So like in the United States, cannabis is still, it's not like, it's not like in Canada, right? Yeah. Like here, uh, cannabis is a great industry too. It's a big industry, but the problem is it's still federally illegal. Um, in the United States. Now they're working on it, but it still is. So there's only, I think, what, 10 or 15 states that have full legalization yeah. for recreational use now. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot about that industry anyways, because I used to live in Colorado. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> And so I do know a lot about that industry. And we did look at it very closely. And, everybody's, and, and it's funny because most people in the software world tend to be a little more politically, a little left-leaning, right? So they're, they're more friendly to cannabis than they are guns. Yeah. But if you look at the regulatory risk around that right now in the United States, States, if you start facilitating transactions, now this is a gray area, like it's not a guarantee that it's illegal, it's because it's just necessarily not. But if you look like you're, you know, supporting transactions for cannabis dispensaries, and the feds decide they don't like what you're doing because you're crypto. Mm-hmm. They can come after you for money laundering and drug oh, trafficking. Yeah. And so, so and it's a and, and I understand that's a mild risk or a small risk, but it still is a regulatory risk. And I, like I said, I think like an entrepreneur. So you got to look at risk mitigation. And if you look at like things like cannabis and pornography and some of those other things, they're not constitutionally protected in the United States. So there's lots of hoops around all those industries. And the same thing, and you look at the pornography industry or the adult film industry. Um, You know, right now in the United States, people are getting, you know, there's a lot of conflation out there between pornography and human trafficking. So if you're seen facilitating transactions for what might be legitimate pornography that's you know for adults and all that and i'm not making a judgment call here i'm just i'm explaining to you our thought process is that you know there's more regulatory risk there too mm-hmm. and it could be regulatory risk from the state environment not because remember we have 50 states that all have their own different laws as well and they have different laws about you know obscenity laws and uh, you know so we said of all those industries that are distasteful we need to start with one of them because no one else has a problem Uh (laughs) that's crypto solves so we decided to focus on the gun industry first uh and probably the next market is also cbd so cbd is legal in all states now but they still have a payments problem as well and so cbd isn't the same thing as most you know the cannabis that has the thc in it and you probably know more about this than i do but um so we decided to focus on the u.s gun industry and then we did that's so that's kind of how we came up with you know which market to focus on and then before we ever started coding we started talking to the industry started talking to retailers manufacturers distributors about their problems and explained to some because most of them have never heard about crypto and they don't understand anything about it um but right now um the u.s gun industry in the united states again it's about 50 billion dollar a year industry it's not tiny industry it is constitutionally protected Though the state law, there are different state level gun laws all over the um, the country. The federal government doesn't regulate how guns are purchased as far as payments. So in the United States, they do have uniform background checks with what they call a form 4473. Mm -hmm. But uh, right now there is no regulation about how, what payment method you can use. So the problem with the gun industry is that the banks have decided upon themselves because of politics 
that the gun industry is a red flag industry and they won't do business with them for the most part. So right now, if you look at the terms of service in like PayPal and Square and Stripe and Cash App, they prohibit the use of guns. And they also usually most of them prohibit the use of cannabis and stuff too in adult industry. So and so guns are kind of lumped in there with those, but the guns are still constitutionally protected. So if you wanted to go buy a gun in the United States from a, a heavily regulated lawful retailer, and that's who our target market is, is heavily regulated lawful retailers. We're not trying to do illicit uh-huh. guns or mass shooters or any of that stuff. Um, using crypto doesn't change the fact that they still need a background check. None of that. So they're so. So they'll still have to go through everything strict yes. background. The Absolutely. only thing Absolutely. that you're providing is just the ease of the transaction, which Correct. they're gonna manage no matter what. They're Correct. gonna get so, that gun no matter what if they qualify. If they qualify, just making it easier for the transaction. Well, right now, I mean, here's so this is the numbers. So, like right now, if you're a lawful regulated gun retailer, there's 55,000 gun dealers in the United States right now that have a federal firearms license. They're called FFLs. Um, right now, uh, one of I was uh, they can't use any third party payment option because of the terms of service from those providers. So they're locked out of all those third party um, things. They can't use Shopify. They can't use Salesforce. They can't use PayPal. None of them. And so on top of that they have a hard time getting a checking account because there's lots of banks that won't even oh. do business with them. So we had one gun dealer I talked to again during our research that they went to seven banks. They got their government license and went to seven banks. They had perfect credit. Banks said, we're not interested in your business. And so the only reason they got a checking account was because they knew the manager of what branch and they, mm. they pushed it through for them. And then on top of that, not all credit card processing will allow guns either. And so one of the other things is that there's, um, there's only a couple of credit card processors out there that will do gun related type of transactions, but they charge extraordinarily high fees. So we're talking anywhere from three to 6% and on top of large monthly uh, maintenance fees. Um, on top of that, they have no chargeback appeals because they're considered red flags. So if someone, let's just say someone bought a gun um, and it was like a $5,000 gun and guns are expensive. Like a lot of people think that this, this, that guns are like a redneck thing, right? In the deep South. But the fact is most people that are really into guns have a lot of money because guns are expensive to shoot and expensive to buy. <laughs> and so, um, so what happens is say you buy a custom ordered gun and it might take six months to a year to get a custom built gun. And what will happen is sometimes people get impatient and they'll do a chargeback and the banks say no appeal. You're done. You, you lost your money. And so, because they're red flag. And so what we did, and then on top of that, um, it, it takes anywhere from, you know, three to three to 14 days to when you're using normal credit card processing, three to 14 days to get you paid. So we come in and so with Tusk, it's only half percent transaction fee. Um, you have no chargeback risks and you end up having your, your, once your coin transaction goes through, you have access to your coins. There's no waiting for the bank to deposit it a week later. And so, and we also say um, in the United States, like the industry, because of politics, and it is a political matter in the, in the gun industry, it's very controversial. I respect people have very different views on it. Um, but in the in the gun industry right now, they're being demonetized by like Silicon Valley. You're seeing people on YouTube that are influencers being demonetized and having their videos struck down and things like that. So we say that, you know, the crypto payment system, I can't shut you down. There's no way that we can shut you down with Tusk. So if you're uh, a merchant taking Tusk and accepting Tusk, you can't be shut down when a bank changes its mind and all of a sudden doesn't like you. 
And so just on the merits and the numbers, crypto payment solutions are far superior in this market and solves a lot of their problems. And so that's how we're approaching kind of getting crypto out there, much like, you know, a startup would, but even though we're not a startup. So being controversial and, you know, all the issues that are coming from gun usage and, and the future, you can tell that it's going to be more and more restricted, you know, less open about it. Um, is that is that still okay for you guys to be going in that industry where eventually it might just become, you know, not allowed, for example? So again, regulatory risk. So I, I don't believe that's going to happen in the United States. In fact, right now, um, and I do follow the gun rights legislation quite closely because it does affect us. Um, one, you'd have to overturn the constitution with a constitutional amendment. That's not gonna happen. And especially with the makeup of the Supreme Court, you're watching the news these days, um, the Supreme Court's actually becoming slightly more conservative and more gun rights friendly in the United States. So I would see we actually might see some more liberalization of gun laws in the United States oh, rather really? than go. Absolutely. And in fact, um, states like California, and New Jersey are getting their gun control legislation that they put in over, under the Obama administration. They're getting challenged in court and they're losing almost every time. And because in because it is it's a constitutionally protected right and we're the only country in the world that has that that the means of self-defense is a protected right and so even though the state level governments can try to ban things uh every almost every time when it goes to the supreme court it gets thrown out and overruled so i don't think that's going to be a major risk and again that's one of the reasons we chose this industry now and like i said you know this is a starting point for tusk the our name is the universal settlement coin we're starting with the gun industry because they have a recognized problem we're not stopping there we're kind of looking at like we're going to get traction in this space first and then work out the other industries so we're not it's like a stepping stone it's a stepping stone we didn't name it assault rifle coin yeah, right? yeah. So you name it like throwing knife coin um, you're going you're going towards an industry that needs help yes. you're helping them and then from there you're going to go to branch out to all types of different industries Correct. And in fact, we, we have already had multiple CBD companies reach out to us. So uh, we're not going to say no to anybody. And, and here's the thing. We can't say no to you. This is the thing about crypto like Bitcoin or Tusk. I can't stop you from using it. Like if you want to use it for whatever industry you want to use it for, I can't stop you from using it. I don't have the power. There's nothing in the code that permits it. Right. There's no off switch. That's the thing that like with like PayPal or even bank accounts. They all have centralized middlemen that have an off switch. There's no off switch with crypto. There's no, I can't shut you off. I can't prevent, you know, let's just say that you're do, you want to do bad things and you want to use crypto. I don't think crypto is a good way to do bad things. In fact, it's much better to use cash if you want to do illegal stuff than it is cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrencies, for the most part, are not anonymous. Cash is anonymous. But I can't shut you down. And this is the difference is that our, one of our taglines that we've been using is payments, not politics. Okay, the fact is everybody has a right to do payments and it's up to you to follow the laws wherever you are. But ultimately, we believe that people have a right to do commerce. And so that's what we're doing. How would someone use Tusk? Like, is there an app that you just download from the, the app store? So what we're doing right now, so there's a couple different ways. So right now, like I said earlier, we're working through our milestones. And this, uh, so we said between the, the first 12 to 18 months of launching our blockchain, 
COVID slowed some of this stuff down, but um, is building out our infrastructure. So we should have all the, the e-commerce uh, shopping cart software payment gateways launched within six to eight weeks. So we are finalizing a partnership with a company um, that is going to be integrating us into all their payment gateways for all the major um, e-commerce applications. So say you were a business and you wanted to accept Tusk for your online store, um, literally, it's just uh, those software plugins will be available here probably very, I'm hoping, eight weeks at the most. So we're working on that. We don't have the exact timeline yet, but that's what it's looking like. So we'll have that infrastructure set. Um, we currently have a wallet um, right now. That's a, we call it a cloud wallet. So you can just log in and set up a free Tusk account at Tusk.network, and then you can just set up an account. And, and then you can buy Tusk on an exchange where we're traded currently on seven exchanges um, and we're getting on more. We're in talks with four more exchanges right now. Uh, and then we're also in talks with three other what we call mobile wallet providers. So for integration for people already. So a lot of uh, there's a lot of big wallets out there for crypto that actually are compatible with many, many coins. We call them multi-coin okay. wallets. Mm -hmm. And so we're talking to we're, we're going to be integrating with multi-coin wallets. So there's three of them that we're talking to right now. So it's just like anything else. It's like you got to build. There's a, I mean, it's like there's a lot of infrastructure when you're trying to build a global payment system. There's a lot of pieces yeah. to it. And so um, we're well on hitting, we're well on track hitting our milestones this year uh, as far as getting into all those relationships. And there's an ATM network we're talking to. They have 900 ATMs uh, across the country. Um, we're hoping to be integrated with them right around the first of the year. Um, so that'll make it easier for people to either buy or sell crypto in real person. So the idea is with that relationship that we're nurturing, um, you know, we go to a gun store that in gun stores in the United States can be pretty big. Like some of the ranges, I mean, they have restaurants in them now. I mean, it's crazy. You'd, you'd be shocked. People that aren't in the United States that guns are like a big thing here. Um, and so the idea is we're going to, we're going to take all the pieces that a retailer needs to integrate you know, accepting crypto and Tusk into their business. So we have a relationship with a tax outfit that because there's some tax implications for, you know, dealing with uh, uh, Tusk or crypto, uh, you know, transactions. There's different tax laws than normal mm -hmm. dollar transactions. So we're bringing in the piece of how they handle the tax. You know, we're bringing, hopefully we go to their store, then we bring in the ATM and right. then we bring all the software plugins. So there's all this stuff you got to kind of like dig out and it's going to take us another year to get everything where we need to be. Um, you know, and we're looking at probably, <clears throat> we have a pilot going on right now. We have four retailers already accepting Tusk. We're traded on seven exchanges. My goal is within 12 months that we probably have a hundred retailers accepting Tusk and probably be on another half dozen exchanges. And we're on track to do that. So I'm pretty excited. And we always like to ask, guests on our show what their superpower is what do you find that 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 uniqueness within that you find that is super about you that you got you to this place oh that's tough um i've had the snot kicked out of me enough times and i think that drives you um i think right now with tusk and where i am in my own life so i would say that as i've grown up right i'm 48 so as i've grown up uh, i've learned to become more patient and I think ultimately, you know, finding the niche, I'm, what I'm good at doing, I think there's probably two things that I'm good at doing. Um, I'm pretty good at networking oh, and I think and building the relationships and, and, but I think I'm pretty good at seeing the opportunities and strategies. So when I network, I try to look for how everybody benefits, even with Tusk. If I'm going to go talk to, you know, some potential partner, 
I'm trying to focus on how I can help them work with us mm-hmm. and how I, cause I believe, you know, I'm not saying I'm not, I don't believe in altruism, but I would say that if people have incentives that are aligned with your goals, you're, you're far more likely to have success than mm-hmm. if someone's not incentivized. Mm-hmm. And I think there is some human nature that, and, and it doesn't always mean money, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, so like with some of our partners, you know, we were doing some heavy co-branding on the marketing side. So they may not have a great marketing strategy or marketing engine, but they might have some, you know, piece of technology that would be good to work with us. So the idea is like, hey, we're focused on the marketing and we're focused on getting customers and we have a plan and a strategy for doing that and it is working. Mm. So they don't have that maybe. And so we say, hey, if you, we, you want to be in our basket of assets and all the, so like I said, we're bringing a basket of tools to the retailer to make accepting crypto easy for them. Let's put them in the basket with us. Mm. And so to me, it's always, trying how to find that little win-win and i don't mean that in a jargon jargon way or jingoistic way i mean literally look like hook i i need to know what you need and if i know what you need and i can provide that and in exchange you can help me get with something i need that's a win and to me i think if if you can network like that and if you think what i and you know when i'm sizing you up like you know, I try to find out what are the things that you want? What are your goals? Yeah. And if we can figure out a way to help each other out, get our goals, you're going to get stuff done. Cool. I like it. I like it a lot, Rob. This is awesome. It was great having you on the show. A lot of information. Um, you know, this Bitcoin stuff is not Bitcoin. I mean, cryptocurrency is it's, it's attractive and dangerous, whatever it is, but it's, it's, it's here and it's going to stay, in my opinion, as well. Um, and you know, definitely it's, it's, it's amazing to learn more from, from, you know, individuals like yourself. And I wanted to thank you to be on the show. If there's any, any last minute kind of suggestions or, or advice you can give the listeners, um, that, that can, that can help them in any way. I would say this, I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs in my life. And the number one thing I can say now, looking back at what failures and successes and, you know, at least one exit under my belt, focus on solving a problem first, Uh then find a customer and then build your business around that. That's critical. Find your, solve a problem, market that solution and find a customer before you even set up the LLC. Mm -hmm. And then, and I would say another little trick that I would give to a new entrepreneur is find an advisor team from the industry that's already done what you want to do. And a little shortcut that I do, and I'll give you, this is the money. I'll I'll give you the money shot for having me on the show. (laughs) I mean this. (laughs) Um, And and this has worked for me a bunch of times now is, um, if I know I want to go into an industry that I don't have a lot of connections to, I will go seek out a past president of the biggest trade association in the industry. Not necessarily the current one, but maybe the current one, but I call that trade association, the president and maybe a former president. And they're easy to find on the websites or Mm -hmm. LinkedIn LinkedIn. or what have you. Mm -hmm. And you reach out to them and say, Hey, so-and-so I'm still got this startup project that I'm working on. I would love for you to be in a board of advisors for me. I could never pay you what you're worth, but I'd like to offer you a token of $100 an hour for your time. I only need you one hour a quarter. Will you accept that offer? That's how you build a board of advisors. Mm. 
And then you set Excellent. up an MOU and then you set up an MOU, memo of understanding. It's not a contract. It's not binding. It's not enforceable, but it basically says exactly what I just said. Mm-hmm. And you build out three or four of those board of advisors to your project. Mm-hmm. It costs you a couple hundred bucks a year, Yeah, but they will respect you because mm-hmm. you honored them. You, mm-hmm. the, you honored their experience yes. and reputation. And here's the thing. The past president and current presidents of your industry's trade associations knows everybody in the industry. Oh, yeah. You got that position. Demo. And I'll tell you how, and, and I did this backwards once, and I'll tell you, if you got another minute, I'll tell you this little story. Sure, sure. How ahead. this worked out for me. So my, I, my first major failure as an entrepreneur, I built a night vision system for yachts. And I knew nothing about the yacht industry. I knew nothing about boats. And, and so what ended up happening is I, toward the end of the, I lost a lot of money. Now I didn't go bankrupt, but, and I didn't lose anybody else's money, but I spent all the money my wife and I had had accumulated and on, and then some. And so I learned about this thing and I reached out to, now this is about the point where we're about to give up in the business because we hadn't got a customer. Mm-hmm. And I went and got, and this is probably a couple of months before we went under. And I went to do, I did exactly what you said. I met and came in contact with some people in the yachting world. Mm -hmm. And I did that offer and I got two of them. In fact, one was a leading yacht designer. One was past president of the major trade association in that industry. Mm -hmm. And uh, we built an $80,000 system at the time. Now this is like 20 years ago. And, and it was expensive, but I just thought this is the way to go. Let's just build this $80,000 system. It's great technology. Mm -hmm. And, Two weeks after the first, now this is at the end where I almost was out of money and didn't have any way to build a new system. Um, I get a call after I did that deal. Um, the first advisor called me and said, Rob. I go, yeah. He goes, do you have an $80,000 system? He goes, yeah. He goes, do you have a $40,000 system? I go, no. Why? I can sell two of those for you right now. And we went out of business like a month later. <laughs> so, but here's the lesson though. I had a board of advisors of amazing talent. I mean, these people are on the discovery channel. Like these are, these are people that are famous in the industry, right? Mm. If I would have gotten that guy on early into my startup, he would have advised me to build $40,000 design and build yeah. a $40,000 system. And he would have been able to sell them for me. Of course. But I yeah. built the wrong one because I went the wrong direction because I didn't know. Mm-hmm. That's all so, right. And, and now so, you know. <laughs> and now I know. But I can tell you as, a, as an entrepreneur, that's the best way to not make costly mistakes and get well-connected into an industry you may not be familiar with Mm -hmm. out of the gate. That's That's the money shot. That's amazing information. Actually, it's incredible. Um, I never thought of that personally. So it's, it's, it's a great um, information that we can get for, especially the audience, you know, if something might click, Hey, I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to develop Mm -hmm. this. I don't know where to start. And this is a perfect place to start from this information. So I appreciate you sharing that. Well, here's the thing though. And this is why this is important is get someone from the industry. Like a lot of times you'll see startups have a board advisor and it's like a retired banker and some other reparted, you know, you know, retired guy from a different industry that don't know anything about what you're trying to do, but they just feel that having someone with gray hair on their board makes them look like they're going to get somewhere. You know, I don't want that it's a waste of time. It's wasted their time and they're not going to do anything for you, especially if you don't pay them. Yeah. And so to me though, you don't have to pay them a lot and you don't have to leverage their time. I have advisors for our our crypto project too. And I rarely bother them, Mm. but I do bother them on a regular basis when I need information 
And I can tell you, it's actually even now, I still do this now. But I think the key is, is that you got to get the people on that, you know, have those connections and you got to yeah. leverage them in a strategic way. But, but here's the thing, if you're thinking about going in an industry, you know, and you got an idea for a solution, they'll either tell you why it won't work or will work. And it's not going to cost, it's going to cost you a couple hundred bucks. And I can tell you, if you pay a couple hundred bucks to get a guy from the industry to tell you, these are the reasons why that won't work, but this is the way you can, instead of spending a year Crisis. and a half of your life building something and spending all your money to find out that same answer. Yeah. No, it's great. Shortcut. Thank you so much. This is amazing, Rob. Shahid, um, thank you so much for having me on today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, it was really nice. Thank you so much. Definitely keep in touch. Your show notes will include all your links and everything if anybody wants to get in touch with you. And we wish you best of luck. And again, thank you for being on the show. Shahid, have a great day. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye.